Wake up. If Pay Me in Equity was a person, it would look like Leisha Bell. The queen of deal flow and dishing venture dollars is known in part for the brains behind the $535 million PayPal fund that was generously distributed to the black and brown owned businesses subsequent to the George Floyd hearing. Her extensive background as a capital allocator, AKA Tech Money Spinderella, includes Pipeline Angel, BLXVC, Black Girl Ventures, Pharrell's Black Ambition Fund, and Women of Color Capital Collective. And that's just a snippet of what she brings to her current role as a change maker for PayPal Ventures. Hi, my name is Carol. I'm based in Amsterdam, originally from Chicago. I've been here for years. I'm in Amsterdam. I'm surrounded by cats and dogs and my three sons, teenagers. I work in impact investing, mostly on the advisor end, even though I'm also a venture partner at a climate-focused fund, and I'm part of the board of directors for a foundation that's also impact-focused. Hello, and welcome to Sisters with Ventures, the podcast where we amplify Black and brown women who are angel investors. On this show, we will explore what is angel investing, how to become one, and why would you want to be one? We will discuss how the most marginalized women persevered to the very top of the investing spectrum. Whether you're making money moves or barely making money, listen up. I'm your host, Lee Chabelle, co-founder of BLXBC, an angel syndicate run by Black and Latinx women who are on a mission to represent ourselves and claim our seats on cap tables. Stay tuned. Hello. Welcome another episode of Sisters with Ventures. We have a legendary Carol Tarr on the call from the Phoenix Capital Group. Carol, say hello. Hello. (laughs) So Carol and I go way back to last year when we were on a racial equity impact group together with the Gen, and I got to meet other amazing impact investors focused on racial equity. And I got to learn a little bit about Carol. She's such a fascinating woman. Every time Black women leave the U.S. and go abroad, I'm fascinated. (laughs) I want the story and the backstory. But uh, she's amazing. She's doing interesting things that we'll talk about today. Carol Tarr, welcome to the show. Thank you. Pleased to be joining you here today. Yeah, so Sisters with Ventures is all about amplifying women of color in the venture capital ecosystem. And you have a very distinct role as an allocator, a venture partner. You wear many hats in this ecosystem. And we're so excited to learn a little bit more about you. But let's go back to your origin story. You know, where are you from? I'm from the south side of Chicago. Oh, south side, Obama side. (laughs) That's right. Not too many blocks (laughs) away. How was that? How was it like growing up in Chicago? Um, yeah, it was iconic. What can I tell you? <laughs> I mean, I was there with everybody, and that's like the best thing about it. I went to um, public school in Hyde Park near the mm-hmm. University of Chicago. And like when I say everybody, I mean like 
R. Kelly was in my homeroom. That's how everybody it was. <laughs> oh, we don't have time for that episode. <laughs> so everybody, let's just say everybody. Was he, he well liked or what? Um, oh, that's a whole other story, isn't it? So <laughs> I'm gonna be another special. I'm gonna save episode. that for another time. Okay. Save that. Save that story. But you was just you wasn't school with everybody then. Everybody. <laughs> so you you had a lot of cultural enrichment in your neighborhood, in your schools, in your upbringing. Yeah, so it was culturally very rich, very diverse. Yeah. You know, a lot of kids like from the University of Chicago faculty and the local neighborhood and the local hood right. and the neighbors <laughs> and all of that. Everybody. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, but it was one of like the top three or four high schools in the yeah. city. So, yeah. um, you know, I took the bus in to get there and started off in like the seventh grade. So I was in part of a two year um, prep class to go there, like a group of 30 that matriculated into this high school. So nice. part of a little cluster of nerds. <laughs> Brilliant people. So, So what did you do after that? Yeah, I went out to undergrad in Connecticut. And I went to Wesleyan. And there I studied um, East Asian studies and religion. And I went wow. to Japan my third year and studied in Kyoto. So I can speak a little bit of Japanese. What? Which is great because I have a Japanese fund manager I'm working with now. So you never know when this stuff is going to come in handy. <laughs> That's true. That's very impressive. Okay, so you're an East Asian scholar. And I was. Yeah. And then I did it in graduate school also, but then I switched to Chinese and I did Mandarin Chinese for a couple of years. And then I switched to classical Chinese because I wanted to read Confucius in the original. And then I switched oh to 19th century Qing documents. <laughs> so I did a lot of like, I do a lot of granular detail. I do a lot of nitty gritty, which I think is why I landed up firmly in impact measurement and management, if you know what that exact, is. <laughs> exact. That That's a direct career path correlation. <laughs> uh, that's exactly where you were headed with that. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. It all makes sense now. I love it when nobody understands why you're making these choices. And then, you know, 20 years later, right. you say it, you, you're able to say, see, I told you okay. it all makes sense in 20 years. <laughs> right. So you're like this Renaissance woman from Southside, East Asian scholar. So what was your first job? Um, my first job, I worked at Tiffany's, um, (laughs) selling jewelry to, you know, focusing on the Japanese customers and telling them how incredibly cute they looked in it. Because the thing about sales is that you have to find out what it is that someone needs to hear that will, you know, get them to pull the trigger on it. So like some people you would say, oh, it's elegant. Oh my gosh, it looks so elegant or it's lovely. But, yeah. the, you know, for the Japanese, you tell them it's kawaii. It's super mm, cute. Kawaii. And that's what generates sales in Japanese. So you got to, you know, that's the thing about like studying like social science and everything like that, which right. I did a lot of, is that you kind of learn to understand people and their triggers and, mm. you know, what makes them want something, right? Right, right. Again, why I ended up perfectly fitted, suited for VC. <laughs> Right. I mean, because you, I mean, I can't say that, that was for good. I mean, consumerism, you study behaviors. Yeah. It was like field I mean, work. Field you know, work, I have work. to say that my little time at Tiffany's, I didn't spend a lot of time there because uh, then I went yeah. to work for my dad in the family business in real estate. 
after that, but I'm sure glad I got that direct sales experience. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Tell me about dad's family real estate business. Southside, uh, apartment buildings, um, a lot of um, affordable housing. We were really oh. definitely involved with affordable housing, a lot of Section 8. And so I worked yeah. as a property manager uh, mm, for him. That had to be colorful. That had to be a colorful, <laughs> very colorful. Can you tell me a crazy story? Well, people, because, you know, you have to, and it's funny because I put this to use now especially with affordable housing, it's like um, ethical like collections, ethical evictions, and how mm. you let someone retain their integrity while they're going through this kind of crisis-ridden situation. And you yeah. have to teach, treat them with dignity and respect and tell them how it's going to work out. You know, you give them a lot of options, but when it doesn't come through, you know, it's business, right? Yeah. So. You know, so you leave them, you know, that's the thing. You have to leave them with their integrity and dignity and respect. And I ended up putting, I don't want to say putting out this woman, but convincing this one woman that she really needed to get her stuff and go before she got put out. And it was done in such a way that she became my mom's caregiver, like oh, wow. 15 years, like 20 years later, and was her companion up to the wow. end of my mom's life. So okay, that's why I'm person. really big on dignity and respect. This is process. a personal message for me because I don't know that I've been such a kind landlord to my tenants <laughs> who didn't pay rent. And you know what? Because it could come back to you. It could come back to you. And that dignity. Thank yeah. you for that. Per thank you for that memo. That was that was for me. <laughs> oh, okay, good. Yeah, you never yeah. know what little hidden gems are up in there. It's a life of uh, life of experience, you know. And, right. and my 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 my. Street experience has been incredibly invaluable to me as I, you know, headed towards other shores. <laughs> See, you guys didn't know. I didn't know Carol Tara had all this flavor. And I'm glad you're coming out on this call right now. <laughs> We're going to get to impact investing in a minute. But this story is too good. Okay. So after dad's business, what did you do? Um, I went to Harvard Divinity School. And um, oh. that's where I started doing the Chinese studies, and I did a lot yeah. of Buddhist ethics and studied Buddhism. And um, yeah, I took that further. I thought I was going to be a straight academic. Um, yeah, from there, I went to a PhD program at University of Chicago and spent years mm. in history of religion doing that, which is when I did the Qing documents, the 19th century documents. And yeah. then switched to Brazil because I wanted to be with some living folks and not people who've been dead since the 19th century and learned Portuguese and went and did my field work in Bahia, Brazil. Wow. Uh, but I didn't finish it. So I'm another one, and which is f kind of funny in my family because it's the same program. My grandfather didn't finish like a century before. <laughs> <laughs> History is repeating itself. It's so nobody time. in my family, none of my sons are allowed to go to the University of Chicago for a PhD. <laughs> program because we're like going to break that cycle <laughs> all but dissertation <laughs> all but dissertation yeah we don't need any more of those in my family no more abds no no more abds how many years i'm going to take that ms or that ma and be done <laughs> i know these 15 years of school is adding up to something that's what we're going to get to in a minute <laughs> You've just been in and out of the educational system. Yeah. And then I taught for years here at uh, business school, Nyarota uh, Business University. 
here in um, the Netherlands because they picked me up because I had all that sociology background. So I taught sociology of work, organizational behavior, because if I could explain, uh, you know, a very complex religious organization to you, I can explain (laughs) any kind of antics going on in your local, you know, corporate office. (laughs) Right. Okay. So that leads you to where you are now physically. Yeah. Yeah. It gets closer. Um, When people ask me why I came to Amsterdam, my tagline is I came for love and stayed anyway. (laughs) We need the love story too. So what's the scoop? (laughs) Where'd you meet him? Well, uh, love is gone, but Carol's still here. (laughs) That's the scoop. That's the scoop. (laughs) Yeah. Now to come to Oh my god. Okay, is love better abroad or in the US? Love is love. As my mother always okay. said, love is relative. Love is whatever it is. Wherever it is, or wherever it's not, or whatever it is, you know, it's just <laughs> it is. It just is what it is. That's what you got. <laughs> how how is the Netherlands? I find it a very interesting place. Mm, yeah, the Netherlands. It's um not the U.S. Um, when I came here, um, I felt like, you know, like waiting to exhale and all that was going on. And I felt seriously like I exhaled okay. when, I, when I got here. And I wasn't like, planning on it. You know, I thought the Netherlands would just be completely white because I didn't know anything. And I yeah. get here and there are all these folks walking around looking like me. And I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> and then the thing that really got me is I was riding the train. They have very nice, clean trains here. And the conductors were speaking to me in Dutch. And I didn't understand it. I was like, why is everybody speaking to me in Dutch? And they're like, because they think you're Dutch. And that really opened my eyes about Europe because there was this whole history of colonialism and there are a whole lot of black and brown and Asian folks and everyone because of, you know, how Europeans got busy all over the globe. <laughs> mm. and, you know, they're doing their thing. And the thing is, um, when you go and colonize a place, you can really expect th- those people come and move in with you in about 100 right. years. So keep right. that in mind when you decide to go on a conquest. Right. So <laughs> let's talk a little about the Dutch and colonization. Mm-hmm. Just because. Did you know Sojourner Truth spoke Dutch? She was colonized. Did she? Dutch. Yeah. Did she have like Dutch. a, she was like property of Dutch people? Yeah. Yeah. So there's this whole thing that she didn't say, aren't I a woman because she was, her native tongue was Dutch and that's not how she would have said it. And like this whole thing, but you know, it's just so interesting. Um, I, so I went to Amsterdam and like literally somebody was following me around in the store. Like I felt like, just like me in America. I was like, yeah, I, can it's afford, just like- I, can, I can afford these pair of panties, please back down, back down. Um, wow. <laughs> it's so, it's so liberal and the Suriname, Surinamese. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, in South America. People, that's why they think we just blend in. Um, just mm-hmm. great. I mean, it's just such a rich place, too. I had a great time there. It was very interesting. Um, but, like, it's like one of the homes of colonization. Like, it's like, <laughs> they like jokes. Oh, geez. Oh, geez. <laughs> and I lived like two blocks away from the big white building that was their headquarters. You know, and it's oh now gosh. like the Maritime Museum, the Schreibfart Museum. You see, I speak yeah. Dutch and I can say all those words. But wow. it was the one that sits out in the middle of the harbor and the boats Is would that come the black to place? it. black place? 
it's a big white shiny building. Mm. It's really amazing mm. in the middle of the kind of the harbor there. And it's yeah. like two blocks from my house. I can like walk to the end of the block and see it. And it wow. reminds me all the time. It was like the Fair Ost, uh, um, the com- company, the Far East company. Yes, um, yes, Far East Trading Company. Yes, so that's at the like yes. like really two blocks away from me, and wow. it reminds me all the time because I always just call it the VOC because that's what the name is, VOC, <laughs> the Far East Trading Company. Yeah, you can call it the Maritime Museum. I'm going to call it the VOC because that's what it is. <laughs> right. Right. And all that they got up to, you know, all that they got it's up there. To. It's a reminder, you know. They have this old ship out front, and they say that it's a replica of one that was used to bring spices, not people. Spices from the, you know, Indonesia, where they were up to doing stuff. And, but you know, I walked through because apparently, you know, slave ships were built. You know, there, there were ships, right? Right. Built the right. same sort of way so you can walk through and you can kind of imagine, but you can't imagine the horrors of all those people stacked up on top of each other. But you can see the captain's quarters and some other things that were right. probably similar and right. where the staff ate, you know, and the upper deck and all these things. But um, yeah, all that, it's just kind of, it's just kind of here. And the, the, the houses with the, some of them with the, um, what might be uh, um, um, indicating that there was a there, that they were in the slave trade, yeah. you know, because they have like little um, ornaments on the side of the mm-hmm. building or on the front of mm-hmm. the building that kind of indicate what the 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 source of the money was or what they were doing right. there. And so they're people sometimes, and they're obviously of African heritage. Right. There are Africans, like in stone, right. on the building. Right. Right. And this generated trillions of wealth for the Dutch. That they yeah, you know, New York is Dutch, right? <laughs> so um, 400 years, that's a, we got a big history. You know, there's a big history. Listen, the, the audience, y'all didn't come for this, but this is what you're getting today. This is what you're getting Oh, yes. Today. You're welcome. You're welcome. Ask a religion major in BC. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now I guess before we end this interview... <laughs> we should get to BC. Hello, my name is Zora, and I will be telling you about my mom's new merch shop. Go to leishabell.com. Thank you. Okay, so how did you get into venture capital? Did you know about it? Were you exposed to it? Did you stumble into it? What's your story? Well, it has its logical progression that makes sense in 20 years, I'm sure. Um, I originally was working as a partnership manager with this organization that was dedicated to getting more money to female founders in the Netherlands. And, um, you know, I made it my, my mission to go and argue with every banker, with every insurance company, anything, any anybody who I could get um, to listen to me about why, you know, these underfunded women needed a fair shot. Yeah. And so um, I worked for a few years and helped to um, get a fund, the first fund dedicated to um, female founders off the ground here. Right. You know, I wrote wow. the white papers. I was in the boardroom. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, wow. I was with the, um, the bankers getting them to, you know, dedicate a certain amount to the fund. And, uh, yeah, I worked very hard on it. 
really, really hard, you know, like really pushing it. I'm not going to name the fund, but let's just say I really worked for it. It was named after this woman who was like a pioneer is how it was presented mm. to me. And wow. like the first of the kind and like bailed out the empire over and over oh, again. Wow. And, you know, it was part of the national Amazing. bank, the founder of the national bank. What? And isn't she great? And shouldn't she have this, shouldn't the fund be named after her? And wow, you know, <laughs> And so we get this successfully launched and then I move on because I realize, okay, you know, like if you're in impact investing, you know, that there's like, it's about underservedness, right? The depth yeah. of mm -hmm. impact. And yeah. I realized that there was not enough depth at this moment. I wasn't even thinking about impact because, you know, it was about getting money to women who already kind of had money. And mm -hmm. when I made the argument that, you know, uh, women of color were getting, you know, decimal points upon what right. women were already get, you know, were getting, which was like 2% was well, like 2%, 2% or something like that. And, right. and I was told that, you know, well, we, our slice of the pie is already so small. Why should we share it? They're telling me this, right? <laughs> so I realized it was time for me to go someplace else. And I was fighting these battles. And um, I mean, it goes, the story diverges in two ways, because I know one side is that I got to tell you that it turned out this woman who we fought to name this fund after was like had made the money came out was directly associated with the slave trade oh, <laughs> she was one of the biggest plantation owners <laughs> <laughs> and i was like oh when it finally came out and they had to apologize you know the banks had to apologize for you know being affiliated with her money and uh, nobody from the fund ever apologized and i was just like how i realized i was like a mercenary i'm absolutely i'm very good at my job and <laughs> and had, had managed to like you know bestow this honor on this plantation owner <laughs> to have this first fund for female founders named for her. So yeah, I'm still trying to live that down. And it's like, okay. You were trying to do good. You were, I was, you, I were you were bamboozled. You didn't know. I was bamboozled. But we, nobody knew and nobody was talking about it. They knew and it wasn't important to them or like the history came out afterwards because then people started looking into it and I'm glad people are looking into it now but and i hope that might you know, like, scrub my name <laughs> off of that though like, no. so well with this behind me i decided to go and train directly for vc so i, I um, joined one of the earlier programs um that was mm -hmm. kind of um focused on getting underrepresented folks i mean the women a lot of women or minorities or women minorities or whomever into venture capital to open that space up because of, you know, how um, uh, founders were being sort of systematically overlooked because yeah. of um, in-baked biases. So I went through these, this kind of program and I decided to go in the direction of impact because I, um, I, I started working on a, um, a research that was looking at faith-based investing, which of course, you can see this all coming together now, ding, right? Ding, 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 ding. There it is. See everybody, I was right, and so I became this. I'm becoming this is kind of like um, the field expert in um, faith-based investing, mission-driven investing, values-aligned investing, and so that's how I kind of end up where I am today and moving in that direction even further. So, yeah. I love that. I love that. So it's what's unique about faith-based 
investing. We don't talk a lot about, I don't, I don't hear a lot about this. What is uh, there's this? a lot of money locked in, you know? Cause like I mean, think rich, about what was your Catholic first bank, state. right? Or you <laughs> like, you know, and think about the Vatican, the Vatican's a big bank, right? right? And so, wow. uh, yeah, so we're talking that kind of money, right? <laughs> That's a lot, that's a lot of money. So if you can mobilize this capital, that's, you know, locked into a lot of these, like, it's like not necessarily even just, you know, religious institutions, but people of faith or, you know, like mm-hmm. family offices that have this tradition, a lot of it's grounded into um, traditions and beliefs. And mm-hmm. you can get people to then say, oh, well, stewardship is one thing we all have in common, regardless of our faith, you know, be you um, Christian or Jewish or Muslim or yeah ever that you know you nobody comes here to trash the place i have never met anyone of any faith that says we're here to destroy things and just leave it you know but um those are the the ones that you can reason with and that will say okay you know maybe impact investing is something that's interesting to us because then we can kind of preserve our capital and we can yeah. give it we can amplify its effect and give it away more times than just one mm. You know, and it also incentivizes it as well. And, you know, these faith organizations have pension funds. You know, the Methodists have a pension fund. Church of England has a pension fund. And, you know, you really need the pension funds to come in um, if you want to um, seriously um, affect whether we're going to reach these goals by 2030 or if we're going to, like, you know, do things like uh, activist shareholder activism uh, around yeah. oil and gas or something like that, right? So you can kind of yeah. see that this is an audience that's primed for feeling responsible socially or environmentally mm. responsible. Yeah. Well, let's talk about climate. Like, what's what's going on over there? <laughs> you mean <laughs> like, like in the big. atmosphere over here? <laughs> in your perspective of faith-based, equity, what is the climate? What, what should we really care about if, if we're really about, you know, being activists in climate? Or should we be concerned? Yeah, um, it's hotter, it's wetter, it's drier, depending on where you live, and it's catastrophic for vulnerable populations. Mm. Mm-hmm. And even though we could go in, we could just turn on the air conditioner, turn up the heat or, you know, drive in our cars or something. But think about all of the people who cannot and they're left and they didn't start this mess, but they're the ones that are going to be really suffering as a result of all of our collective actions. Right. And we have to think about that. And we have a responsibility. Like, again, I said, that's the thing that's interesting about, you know, especially the faith based audience is that you really should feel the sense of responsibility um, around it and, and the climate. And because you can directly see the effect of it. And I don't care who's talking, you know, or trying to rationalize it. We know that the summers are drier. We know that there's a lot of crop failure. You know, we know that there's a lot of flooding, that there's a lot of things happening that are devastating and catastrophic Mm -hmm. to lives. So, and you know, you think about children and women and it's just, it's absolutely unfair and it's our responsibility to fix it. That's all. That's it. Yeah. Point blank. Period. (laughs) Done. 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 
No, I mean, I guess we should be done with this. Interview. I mean, I don't know what else we can cover at this point. We didn't went all around the world. We've covered all the issues. <laughs> we went everywhere. You went with me we to Kyoto. In- you went with me to Amsterdam. We started with R. Kelly. I mean, this conversation has really been everywhere today. Little south side uh, of Chicago. South side. Okay, okay. So we're going to have to wrap this up because it's getting too good. Um what would you tell little Carol in Southside Chicago? I would tell little Carol to one, definitely take those karate lessons. They will be handy. So stick with it. <laughs> Learn martial art, maybe start early. Well, just start when you start because it makes you walk different. That's good. Um, I would say, um, yeah, stick with it. In 20 years yeah. will all make sense. <laughs> 20 years. What about that PhD? What would you tell little Carol? Uh, just let that go. Because, you know, because you're doing it for other people. <laughs> release. 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 I was doing it for everybody but me, basically. And I was like, there are other things you can do. You can be um, academically minded and you can study a lot without having to be an academic. You can right. put that knowledge to work elsewhere. So is your family proud of you now? Um, I suppose, yeah. <laughs> <Not sure. laughs> and, you know, they're not going to tell you all that stuff because you didn't think you could stop working. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are proud of you, okay? If my oh, dad didn't you. tell you, we are so proud of you and the work that you're doing and you're representing us on so many levels and you're showing we are not a monolith. Because there's no one like you, Carol Tart. Let me tell you, after this conversation today, there's no one like you. And you are amazing. Uh, and we thank you for spending this quality time on us with Sisters with Ventures. Um, is there any way that we can support you or follow you or connect with you that you want to share? Um, say something nice about me to somebody. How about yeah. that? I like that. That's a, that's a great <laughs> ass. Okay. <laughs> We'll be saying a lot of nice things about you. Thank you, Carol Tar. Thanks for coming on the Thank show. Thank you, Ishabelle, for Good having me Good night for recording this so late. <laughs> <laughs> Good night. It's my Friday night now. I'm going Have to bed. Fun. <laughs> <Good> night. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. And that's a wrap. Thank you for listening to the show. Please subscribe, tell a friend, check us out, let the world know. You can find out more information about this podcast at LeeChabelle.com. And remember, be an angel, invest.